Hi, and welcome to episode 51 of 5 Minutes of Rum, Notes on Rum, a few minutes at a time. My name is Kevin Upthegrove. Today's episode features Pusser's Blue Label 84 Proof Rum. Now, historically, I've kind of given Pusser's Rum short shrift. I've kept it on hand for painkillers and not really much else. Uh, It's not that I disliked it, I just never really bothered to determine whether it was good in any other application. After all, I felt like I had my heavier-bodied mixing rums covered with Caruba, El Dorado, Hamilton, Lemonheart, and the like. That said, I decided to focus on tasting this one alone, as well as using it in the quote-unquote normal way as the base of a painkiller. And since you can't have a painkiller without cream of coconut, I'll also discuss the two of those that you're most likely to find in a store. And there'll also be a bonus second recipe, which, like the painkiller, is not my own. Okay, and as mentioned, the feature drum in this episode is the Pusser's Blue Label. In the uh, the U.S., the Blue Label is an 84-proof rum. The Blue Label in the U.K. and possibly other countries, but I'm not entirely sure, but I know in the U.K. the the Blue Label is now an 80-proof. Pusser's Blue Label used to be a higher-proof offering, more like a Navy-style, Navy-proof rum, befitting its Navy rum status. Uh, More on that uh, shortly. Recently, the Blue Label, though, went to a more standard 80 or near 80 proof. I believe that was to help it get into more doors, more bars, kind of promote it as more of a mainstream mixing rum. However, there is still a 95.5 proof version uh, marketed as gunpowder proof that I'm anxious to obtain given my tasting results on the Blue. Uh, Speaking of that, let's do the tasting and then talk more about Pusser's itself. Now, uh, standard uh, four-item checklist here for uh, rum, starting off with appearance. Uh, appearance of this rum, it's dark brown in the bottle, becoming a maple syrup color, maple syrup color when it's held up directly to the light. Uh, has some really slowly forming legs uh, when swirled in a glass, um, and it looks a little bit like something you might pour on pancakes, speaking of maple syrup. Aroma-wise, it's, it's very pungent. I have a little bit of my glass right here. Uh, it has some fruit and some sugar and a hint of mustiness from a barrel. Not really in a bad way, though, if that makes any sense. Uh, it smells like it has a bit of the heaviness from a full-bodied rum. Um, and I don't know how much, uh, if any, pot still is in there. Well, that's not true because I've done the research. There's actually quite a bit of pot still in there. But at the time I tasted this, I wasn't really sure what the composition was. Um, it definitely tastes like there's some pot still. So that's one of the things that will hit you uh, when you taste it or when you smell it. Excuse me. Now moving on to taste. Uh, taste is, you know, I found it to be smooth, just a small bit of bite, really good body, uh, maybe even a little bit chewy, which kind of sounds like a dumb description given it's a liquid, but go ahead and try it. Try a little bit of the rum, swirl it around in your mouth and see if it doesn't, you know, make sense that you're you know, almost chewing on it a little bit. It's a little abstract, but give it a shot. Um, maybe even has a little trace of that Demerara smoke, um, but I could just be putting that in there, you know, out of knowing a little bit more about where the rum is coming from. Finish. Um, I found the the Pusser's Blue Label to have a nice finish, uh, although I don't think the finish is this rum's best quality. Uh, the finish is warm, but it's not particularly long. Um, I think its best quality is probably the body and the aroma. Um, the summary of this rum, what I like about this rum um, is there is a lot to consider, so there's more than one note to it. Um, it, it definitely held its own as a sipper, uh, but you know this rum, when you taste it, you know this rum is going to mix well and it's going to stand up to strong flavor. So it's obviously going to be a, a good rum for uh, the typical flavors that you'd find in a tropical or tiki cocktail because it's going to be able to hold its own with those. Um, I've had bottles in my home bar in the past, but I've really, like I said before in the intro, really only used it for painkillers. I think it's worth considering um, definitely for other applications. Now, 
And doing research on this rum, um, it's a, it was a little bit of frustrating in a way in that there's an awful lot of information about the rum, but there's almost nothing of substance about the rum, if, uh, if that makes sense. So what I mean by that is going to, for instance, the official Pusser site, uh, they actually have quite a bit of information on the history of Navy rum and uh, the history of this rum in particular. But it's not a lot about the production of the rum itself. It's a lot about where this rum's place is. It's, they've obviously got a very good story to tell. Their marketing kind of writes itself because of its place in British naval history. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about that. But know that um, even going off of the Pusser's main site and just doing searches on, for instance, the Pusser's rum blend and just dropping that into Google, um, the instances of, of actual facts are somewhat hard to find. So I've done my best to draw my conclusions based on what I've read about the rum. Uh, but it was an interesting experiment to try and find out some actual facts about it. Now, if you go to the Pusser site, and there's a link, uh, a couple of link, or a, yeah, a couple of links to different places in their website, um, they'll tell you that this is a rum that dates back to the recipe of the British Navy rum that was given out to their sailors um, during the heyday of the British naval period up until Black Tot, excuse me, Black Tot Day, uh, Black Tot Day on July 31st, 1970 was when the uh, British Navy stopped giving out a daily rum ration. Now that daily rum ration kind of varied from year to year. You know, it started out being straight rum and then it was, uh, you know, different sizes that were people were amounted to quite a bit actually in the past. And then it kind of got dialed down towards the end. But uh, Black Tot Day is now um, how July 31st, 1970 or July 31st is recognized. Anyways, um, in 1979, a gentleman by the name of Charles Tobias uh, was able to sort of I don't know if he just purchased the rights to the recipe, but he was able to acquire essentially what was a representation, if not an outright reproduction of that rum that was given out to the British naval uh, soldiers, um, British naval soldiers, the British Navy seamen. <laughs> I didn't want to get my different branches of the military correct there. Uh, anyway, so uh, this rum is purported to be the same recipe of the rum that was produced and given to the British Royal Navy. Um, that's its pedigree. That's what they lean on. So there's a lot of British Royal Navy history when you read uh, read up on the rum on their site. They market it as a a product of the West Indies, um, and it's a blend of rums. Um, I've seen blend from, you know, anywhere from three to five different West India locations. Um, from, you know, well, basically um, going off of the main site just to find out a little bit more about the blend. I found that this is actually not a blend from five islands. But the Pusser's Blue Label is a blend of five stills, uh, mostly between, if not exclusively, between Guiana and Trinidad. So that's the five West Indian rums of the marketing. It's not five West Indian islands. It's five different West Indian rums, and the rums are coming from five different stills. Um, and since Pusser's advertises that it has a substantial amount of wooden pot still distillate in it, then you know part of that rum, a big part of that rum, is coming from the Port Morant double wooden pot still of Demerara Distiller Limited on Guiana. Uh, because that's the only wooden pot still of that size still making rum in this day and age. So you can be sure that there is a large component of Guinea's rum in the painkiller, or excuse me, the painkiller, getting ahead of myself, in the Pusser's rum mix. So um, when you're thinking about this rum, think about it in terms of it's definitely a rum in the um, English uh, Caribbean uh, style. So your sort of English style rums, which are going to be heavy body, dark color. And it's primarily going to be made up of Trinidad and Guiana rum. I don't think that there's any other rums that are currently a part of the mix, at least not according to what I could see. Now, a little bit more on the history of the rum itself. 
So the the name Pussers comes from the person who, on the ship whose job it was to uh, essentially they were responsible for the items that were stored on the ship, including the rum. Um, and that person was known as a purser. So somehow over time that went purser became Pussers. Uh, that's the name that uh, of Pussers Rum. There's a lot of other, um, if you go to the site, there's a lot of other folklore and a lot of other um, sort of insight into British Navy culture and slang. A couple of things you can find out when you go on there, for instance, that I wasn't aware of originally. Well, one of the things you can find out is what we talked about in episode 50, which is what Nel- the meaning of Nelson's blood. Um, go back and listen to that if you're not sure of what that is. Um, there's also this notion of the grog tub. So when people were given their daily rations of rum, there was this thing called the grog tub, which originally actually was called the scuttle butt. Um, scuttle being the, uh, the scuttle was represented by the, or, well, let me rephrase that. An open container was a scuttle container and it was a freshwater t- cask or also known as a butt. So the scuttle butt was basically this big vat that they serve rum out of. That ended up becoming the grog tub. Um, but what int- actually ended up becoming um, the sort of slang, the current slang term, is if you hear the term scuttlebutt, that was become synonymous with gossip, essentially because as people lined up at the grog tub or the scuttlebutt, as the sailors lined up there for the daily ration, they'd kind of just chat amongst themselves and talk about what was going on. So that sort of water cooler gossip became known as scuttlebutt, which persists to this day. Even though until I read this, I had no idea that the scuttlebutt actually represented some sort of tub. Um, if you want to see a good um, representation of a grog tub in mug form, uh, visit or look up Longitude in Oakland. That's Suzanne Long's bar. Uh, and their house mug is a very, uh, well, I'm not going to say gigantic, but it is a very large size barrel. Uh, it's basically a grog tub. Uh, can double as a cookie jar. Uh, but that is a good representation of a grog tub if you wanted to see one in ceramic form. Um there's a lot of, like I said, there's a link in the show notes to some other folklore from the Pusser site. Again, there's a lot of interesting information about there, on there about the uh, the folklore of British Navy um, culture and and rum's place in that. Uh, maybe not necessarily so much about the production of the rum itself, but you know, there's enough information that we can glean. We know that this is an English style rum. We know that it has a lot of Guiana rum in it, and we know that that's um, going to lend itself to certain applications uh, that we'll talk about in a little bit. The other thing I want to mention in terms of uh, Pusser's Rum is something from a few years ago, what I'll call the PKNY issue. Um, Pusser's has actually trademarked the Painkiller Cocktail. They did that in the 1990s. And I'll talk a little bit about the origin of the cocktail coming up shortly. In 2010, a rum bar named Painkiller opened in New York City. Uh, they actually closed as PKNY in 2013. The reason for that is that a, a legal battle took place over the bar's name and that cocktail in 2011. So uh, Painkiller opened in 2010. It was uh, a newish tiki-inspired bar. I wouldn't necessarily call it a tiki bar, but they definitely had um, some of that inspiration in their menu. And uh, after about a year of being in business, the Pusser's Corporation took umbrage at the fact that they were calling themselves Painkiller. So they were marketing a bar called Painkiller, as well as having a painkiller on their menu uh, because Pusser's has trademarked the painkiller name and, and recipe they are actually very protective of that. Um, this was actually sort of a, a big deal, especially for people who worked in the bar industry. They saw it as, a, as fairly heavy-handed to come down in this one bar uh, for doing nothing more than having the word painkiller in their name. Uh, for whatever reason, Pussers felt they had to protect their trademark. Uh, personally, I'm not sure that it was that big of a threat. I don't think that anybody was not going to buy the Pussers pre-mixed painkiller mix uh, just because there was a bar in New York City called Painkiller. 
Uh, but after a bit of a legal battle, they changed their name, the bar did, to PKNY. And I believe the painkiller was removed from the menu and put on as, you know, they probably had a similar drink with a different name, uh, which is the way that you can deal with that trademark issue. Um, and like I said, the bar closed in 2013. It actually was unrelated to being called PKNY as far as I understand. I understand that the reason was is they actually had lost their lease. Um, so that was a little bit of a, a recent uh, dust up with the, the Pusser's Rum. Um, I'm not sure how many people still hold that grudge. Um, I actually heard a one of the co-owners of the bar, and I, uh, unfortunately I misplaced writing the name, uh, but he did a symposium a couple years ago at, at um, Tiki Oasis and talked a little bit about it. it. That wasn't the point of the symposium. He was actually talking about ice and cocktails and dilution, and it was a really good, uh, interesting discussion of that. You could tell he has a, um, a, a really high level of experience with uh, uh, how to get ice into cocktails and how to do it correctly. But anyways, he talked a little bit about it. Didn't seem to harbor, at least publicly, any ill will. Uh, so I think mostly the whole deal with Pusters is kind of blown over, but there was a little bit of an issue with them where people kind of got up in arms a few years ago. Uh, where do you find Pusters? There are two regular Pusters labels that you'll find in the U.S. There's the Blue 82, and there's a red label that is aged for 15 years and retails for about $55 American. Uh, I haven't yet tried the red label. The Blue is available in larger liquor stores and readily available from online retailers. It may not be in a grocery store, but again, it's not really that hard to find. Um, and somewhat importantly, it has been around for a while. Distribution seems stable. So a lot of times when I find an interesting new rum, um, I'm not always sure how long it's going to stick along, stick around. Um, you know, liquor distribution can be a tricky business, and sometimes you you might grow attached to something or build a couple of cocktails around something that suddenly isn't available anymore. Um, at least in the last, the recent past, I would say the last five or six years, if not longer. Pusser seems to be relatively stable on the shelf, not shelf stable, but just something that you can consistently find. So, um, you know, for what it's worth, it might, you know, it might be something you could, if you work it into your repertoire and you find that something you like, maybe it won't go away so so fast. Now, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, Pusser's has modified their lineup in the last couple of years. Um, and though I don't think it's available right now in the U.S., they have brought out a quote unquote gunpowder proof, which is their original 95.5 proof recipe. The blue label used to be 95.5, but to help them get into more markets, they dropped the blue to 80, 80 proof or 84 proof in the U.S. All of this to say that I'm, I'm actually keen to try this, this gunpowder proof. I want to try it to the original 95.5 proof. Uh, gunpowder proof, as a reminder, refers to Navy rum that could be poured onto gunpowder and ignited due to the alcohol content, therefore ensuring that the rum wasn't watered down. It was a way for people to validate that they hadn't been their rum hadn't been watered down before it was handed to them. Um and what else can this rum substitute for? Not the gunpowder proof, but the the blue uh, 84 proof label in the U.S. Um, tasting this rum on its own led me to reconsider what I might use this rum for. It's a valid substitute for something like a Demerara probably. It's not a straight Demerara substitute, but I think it would be valid. Uh, you know, if that's what you can get, if you can't find El Dorado or you can't find Hamilton or you can't find something like that, I think you could substitute in the Pusser's rum and get something that's relatively close. Um you know, it's not going to be the same, but it's not going to be definitely it's going to be better than substituting, like, say, a plantation dark or uh, or, in, you know, something else. It's it's probably the closest to a Demerara without actually being a Demerara, given that it has that much of the pot still from DDL inside the actual rum base. Um, I, you may may want to experiment with using it in recipes that call for a dark Jamaican rum or a Demerara rum just to see which one fits. Uh, definitely welcome in a Navy Grog for obvious reasons. 
Um, and I might try this out in some of my old Karuba-based recipes that I that I developed along along with Karuba, just to see how it changes a little bit. It's not a, it's also not a straight swap for Karuba, but it might actually be a good uh, substitution there as well. Now, if you're going to work your way into making a painkiller, um, then you're probably going to need to deal. Well, not probably. You're going to need to deal with cream of coconut. Uh, cream of coconut in the cocktail in the context of cocktails usually means Mr. Coco Lopez and Coco Real. Um, what is, let's start with what it is not. So what is cream of coconut not? Cream of coconut is not synonymous with coconut cream. So coconut cream is actually something that's very similar to coconut milk, but contains less water. Um, it's actually used primarily in like soups and and other sort of Asian cooking, uh, should not be confused with cream of coconut. Uh, it, not to say that coconut cream couldn't work well in a cocktail, but it's not going to work very well in your painkillers and probably not in the other recipes that call for something like a Coco Lopez or a Coco Real. Uh, so what is co- cream of coconut then? Uh, cream of coconut is essentially sweetened coconut cream. So if you think of what the coconut cream was, which was sort of a coconut milk, add sweetener to it. Now you've got something more akin to something that's going to be found in a tropical cocktail. Um, in addition to cocktails, uh, cream of coconut is often also used in desserts. Uh, like I said, the two main brands that you're going to find uh, when you look when you look in your local grocery store is Coco Real and Coco Lopez. Coco Real is the one that's going to be found in a squeeze bottle, and Coco Lopez is the one that's found in a can, a can with a kind of somewhat sharp-looking cartoony parrot on the side of it. Actually, um, the Coco, there's there's definitely advantages and disadvantages to each. Um, to really badly paraphrase a LCD sound system song, uh, Coco Real's primary advantage is that squeeze bottle. Um, it makes it very easy to dose out. It makes it very easy to carry with you, um, and it makes it very easy just sort of to, to deal with when it comes to a cocktail. Because cream of coconut is very thick, viscous, uh, sticky stuff. So by itself, even on you know even in its best circumstances, it's kind of a pain in the butt to deal with. Uh, Coco Real will give you the advantage of using a squeeze bottle for it. The primary disadvantage of Coco Real that I have found is that it has a, a slightly sharper or slightly hotter flavor when you use it. Uh, so to me, the coconut should be a little bit more muted and, and you know, for, you know, it should be sweet. That's what it's there for. Um, the Coco Real is just a little bit different flavor. So I prefer the flavor of Coco Lopez. However, with Coco Lopez, you have a whole different uh, problem to deal with, and that's the fact that it comes in a can, and those cans have also been often been sitting on a shelf for long enough to sort of separate it. And then, you know, there's sort of this thick, when you open the can, there's this thick uh, coconut mass in it with some extra residual water that is leached out of that mass. So you kind of have to figure out how to deal with that. You, you can't just pop open the can and drop an ounce of that in your cocktail. So how do you effectively manage that can of Coco Lopez if that's what you're going to do and you're not going to plan, you're not planning to use the whole can at once. Uh, the first thing I always do is I open the can, empty that in the larger side, the larger end of a shaker tin, so the larger um, of the two pieces, and then I will apply an immersion blender, uh, immersion blender, and just mix that until it's smooth. So I drop that into the the tin and just blend that thing until it's smooth. Once it looks or once it's smooth, it'll look a lot like what you expect cream of coconut to look like. It's just that sitting in the can doesn't really do it any favors. Now. When I'm done with that, I will typically, because I'm not going to use the whole can at once unless it's a, um, you know, a, a party with numerous people, but if it's just a few people over or just, you know, a couple of people at home, 
I'm going to pour that once I've used the immersion blender to smooth it out. I'm going to pour that into an empty rum bottle. Uh, there'll be a photo of that in the show notes, and that makes it a lot easier to dose out because you're usually dosing it out at a half ounce or an ounce at a time. So with Coco Lopez, there's a little bit of upfront work to get it into an, you know, a container you can dispense from, but I think the effort is worth it because, it, uh, in my opinion, it tastes a little bit better. That being said, there is definitely some advantages to using the Coco Reel and having that you know, just be portable and travelable with you, especially if you're going someplace that's not your home bar. Uh, so I'm not going to discount that. But those are the two that you're going to find, and that's cream of coconut in a coconut shell. I'm sorry. Now, that brings us to the primary uh, recipe for this episode, and that is the painkiller. That is the cocktail that is synonymous with Pusser's Rum to the point, like I said before, where they trademarked the recipe. Now, the history of this cocktail um, differs a little bit from the two primary accounts that I've read. I've, um, there's the account that's in Beach Bunbury Remixed, and then there's the, the marketing account. Sorry, that seems a little loaded when I say it like that, but there's the account that's on the Pusser's website. So I'll talk about it. There are some definite, definite similarities between the two. Uh, the principles are the same that this recipe originated um, around something called the Soggy Dollar Bar, which was a essentially a uh, island in the British, let me back up, an island in the British Virgin Islands where in, in the, the bar itself, was something you had to swim up to. So hence the name Soggy Dollar Bar. Um, in Beach Bunbury Remix, he mentions that this was invented by a couple named George and Marie Myrick um, in 1971, who were at the time the uh, the proprietors of the Soggy Dollar Bar in the British Virgin Islands. Um, at the time that Beach Bunbury wrote down the recipe or, or wrote his description, the current owner of that bar was named Jerry O'Connell, um, I mentioned that the painkiller was originally made with a mix of Cruzon Dark Rums and Mount Gay, um, but that Pusser's had become the official pour. Um, so the the location, I think, is at least agreed upon. But when you read the account on the Pusser's website, um, it's said that uh, the Charles Charles Deba- Charles Tobias, the uh, the character who has brought the rum back from uh, the dark days of Black Tot Day. Um, he was visiting this bar, um, and was taking in the painkiller, uh, that was a recipe of somebody by the name of Daphne Henderson, who, who actually owned the bar. Um, there's a bit of a back and forth on the site about, uh, a challenge about who was trying to replicate which recipe and which one people liked better. Uh, ultimately the story on the Pusser's website is that the Charles Tobias one, he was trying to replicate the one that everybody seemed to like at the bar. When they came to a head-to-head challenge, everybody liked his version, but he's very, um, his recipe always mentions that uh, it was inspired by Daphne Henderson at the Soggy Dollar Bar. So I don't know exactly where the truth lies. To be honest, I don't really care. Uh, The painkiller is a good recipe. Um, It's especially good because it's something that a lot of people like. Um, It's not necessarily the most complex cocktail. It's not necessarily the most challenging cocktail. Um, but it is a really easy pour and it's something that people tend to like. So the truth is probably somewhere in between those two stories. Um, but let's just go with the painkiller recipe as published by Pusser's. And we'll talk about that, uh, in that context as well, uh, here. There's actually the, um, one of the things you'll notice of the painkiller is it's a, it's a ratio based recipe. And one of the parts is definitely, uh, inter, not interchangeable, but definitely can be changed. And that is the Pusser's rum part. So you'll often see the recipe listed as a painkiller number two, a painkiller number three, or a painkiller number four. 
The only difference in those recipes is the amount of the uh, Pusser's rum that you're putting into that, whether it's two parts, three parts, or four parts. That's the painkiller number two, three, or four. So the recipe itself, uh, Pusser's writes the recipe for theirs in parts, like I just mentioned, which I have normalized here to one ounce. It is very similar to what Beach Bunbury has in Beach Bunbury Remix. The difference there is he just normalizes the rum to two and a half ounces. Otherwise, the, the recipe is exactly the same. So in this case, we're talking about four ounces of unsweetened pineapple juice, one ounce of orange juice, one ounce of cream of coconut. Uh, in this case, I'm using Coco Lopez, and I am using the, I'm, I'm gonna make a painkiller three, I'm using three ounces of Pusser's rum. Shake all of those ingredients in a shaker tin filled with lots of crushed ice. Pour that unstrained into a tall glass, a tiki mug, or best yet, a ceramic coconut mug. Uh, add more crushed ice to fill that mug and dust the top with nutmeg and add a whole cinnamon stick to garnish. Now the presentation, if you'll look at the show notes, uh, I'll have a photo of how I'm doing the presentation. For me, a coconut mug, um, and actually I should note here, the coconut mug in the show notes, the picture there is a Jungle Modern Ceramics modern coconut. So there's a link to Jungle Modern Ceramics in the in the show notes. Check him out. He, um, he does great work. Um, I, we have several mugs in our collection from him. I recommend his his work highly. Um, I opt to keep the garnish simple. I just go with the spices, fresh nutmeg, and a cinnamon stick. Uh, some of the other garnishes, like the orange wheel and the pineapple stick, I definitely consider optional. Uh, when you taste this one, this one is a crowd pleaser for a reason. The pineapple, orange, and coconut is a pleasant and sweet taste that reminds people of an island vacation. So when you start getting up to three and four ounces of pussers, then the rum starts to make itself known and take away a little bit of that sweetness. So I would definitely make it to the taste of your audience. If it's somebody who's not a, um, a big rum drinker, you may want to make the painkiller number two. Um, if it's someone you know who's who, who appreciates a little bit more of the rum flavor, go with a painkiller three or four. Um, I typically make the three. Uh, the four is nice as well, but you start getting into a little bit um, heavier thing there, um, and you start to you know you start to get a little bit more of the rum flavor. The obviously the more rum you go in it. Um, but I like, I like the three, I kind of settle in the middle ground when it comes to this recipe. The two for me is a little bit too sweet. Um, but I do still appreciate what the flavor profile is. Uh, definitely something that's tropical and reminds you of being on vacation and on a beach. Uh, the cinnamon and the nutmeg on the nose is very pleasing. I definitely don't consider that optional. If you're going to serve this, go ahead and do it right. Put the fresh grated nutmeg on top and drop a cinnamon stick in there. You need a little bit of that spice to balance out some of that sweetness. Uh, a friend of mine is actually known to pour a Kraken spiced rum into this recipe, and I found that that also works well, especially when you find yourself in a more remote location. Uh, generally speaking, Kraken has pretty good rum or pretty good distribution, or at least better than Pusser's, in that you can find it in a grocery store usually, so you have a better chance of finding the ingredients. Um, on the go and being remote is another one of those cases where the squeeze bottle of Coco Lopez comes in handy over, or, excuse me, the squeeze bottle of Coco Loco comes in handy over Coco Lopez. So that's also something to consider um, if you're, you know, trying to improvise. You know, generally speaking, you're going to be able to find orange juice. You can find a pineapple juice. Um, if you need to substitute some other things in there, go for the uh, the Coco Loco so you get the squeeze bottle and, you know, find a dark rum, maybe even a Kraken, and you can find something that's close but not exactly a painkiller. Now for recipe number two, I'm going to go slightly off format. Rather than have a second cocktail with the feature rum, I'm going to go with something to help you consume that cream of coconut that you have on have on hand that you just made for the painkillers. 
Uh, this recipe is called the Gorillas on Deck. Um, I'm not entirely sure why that's the name of it, but I was happy to see that it did not feature a banana flavor that I first imagined it would fe- it would uh, have when I read the name. Uh, it's a recipe I came across very recently in the last week on Frederick Yarn's Cocktail Virgin blog. Uh, his blog is very aspirational to me. He posts daily recipes he tries and adds a couple of paragraphs of commentary to each one of those recipes. Uh, they're not all rum-based, but they are. Um, I just I really appreciate not just the cocktails he's doing, but the diligence that he has to post every day and always put something up there that he's experimenting on and learning with. Um, so anyhow, I spotted the uh, coconut cream or the cream of coconut, I should say, and decided to give this one a shot. Uh, I've also linked in the show notes to episode 27 of this here show as a refresher on ginger syrup should you need it. Now the recipe for gorillas on deck. One ounce of Clement Premier Con Rum Agricole. One ounce of Plantation Overproof Dark Rum. One ounce of pineapple juice. One ounce of cream of coconut. One half ounce of ginger syrup. And one half ounce of fresh lime juice. Uh, Combine all those ingredients into a shaker tin, shake with a a few ice cubes, and pour into a tall glass. Then fill that glass uh, the rest of the way with crushed ice, and then uh, garnish with a mint sprig and five dashes of Angostura bitters. So I have one here. I'm going to go ahead and taste this. Mm. So you do get a lot of aromatics from the nose between the mint and the Angostura bitters. You get a lot of aromatics. The coconut cream gives it a lot of body and gives it kind of a thick feel. Uh, you definitely taste the Premier, the Agricole, uh, Premier Con rum, and the pineapple mixing with the coconut cream. Um, the ginger syrup is a little bit more subtle than I thought it might be. Maybe that's my recipe. I'm not quite sure. Um, but overall, it is a very nice drink and a very different profile than one, the painkiller, and two, that I would have um, that I would have made on my own as it were. Reading a little bit about the cocktail on the uh, Cocktail Virgin blog, uh, this seemed to be a riff on a pina colada, so a different, slightly different, although similar profile to the painkiller. Um, and definitely, you know, the, what you're picking up there is the the on the nose is the spice notes, and then the creaminess of the drink. So overall, a very good drink, a different representation from what we tasted with the Pusser's rum, uh, but I would recommend giving it a shot especially since you're going to need to use the rest of that cream of coconut that you bought for your painkillers, assuming you didn't, of course, use it all on your painkillers. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Show links are up on the 5 Minutes of Rum website. That's number 5minutesofrum.com. The show is also on iTunes as 5 Minutes of Rum. You can subscribe, you can rate the show, even leave a review. There's at least one new review there. Thank you. Uh, Shout out to listener Jeff Cleveland for the review I just saw a couple days ago. The show is also on Twitter as at five minutes of rum. That's the at symbol number five minutes of rum. Please send in any comments, corrections, feedback, or, and, or requests via the five minutes of rum website or on Twitter. And now go get some rum.